Nearly there, there we go. It's good to see you all today. I hope that you guys are, I guess, having a great week and have a good start to the year if we haven't seen you yet. We really are excited about what we're starting today, our Double Take Durban series. And we're just excited to spend a few weeks looking at and thinking about the city in new ways. Now, it might seem funny in some ways, because I think for everyone in this room, we know a bit about Durban. You know, we know that this is an African city on the southeastern coast of uh, Africa. We know that this is a port city, and we know about how cosmopolitan the city is. And I thought about that word in some ways. It's so amazing thinking of the over three million people who make up the city, between three and a half million. And there's people from around, obviously, KwaZulu-Natal, people from around South Africa, and some people from all around Africa. I mean, we've got to know that. As we go around and explore the city, we see people that are from all around Africa who make up something of the population of this great and beautiful city. It's a really interesting place. So diverse, so unique, made it up of people from different communities communities, different ethnicities, different cultures, different languages, different countries, different backgrounds, all together in this place that we get to call home. But I'm sure if I was to ask you on like a, a bit of a superficial level to describe Durban, you could do that, or maybe even better than I have. But what we're wanting to do in this series is double take Durban. We want to look at the, seri- the city again with new eyes, with fresh lenses, and think about the city and think about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So maybe the first thing we want from the city. One of the female members of this church, I'm going to mention her name so you can tease her about this, Josie Hardy, is famous for describing Durban to some overseas people visiting the city in this way. Durban is the plain girl with a great personality. That's the way she, not me, the way she described the city of Durban. And I think what she's trying to say with that description is that Durban is the kind of city that once you get to know, if you spend the time getting to know her, she's amazing. But actually, maybe you'll be more attracted by other cities first. And we've seen that. We've seen a lot of people that have decided that they want to go and live in a different place rather than to get to know the city. So that means Durban has had a lot of those, it's not you, it's me kind of conversations, which is a little bit awkward for any city to have. So that's the reality of the place that we live in. And we want to look at the city again, not just from our eyes or even what the culture thinks about the city, but we really want to ask God for his eyes and his lenses and his thoughts and the ways that he thinks and feels about the city and the people who call the city home. So that's the first thing that we're really wanting to do. And secondly, for us as followers of Jesus, this place is the context for our Christianity. Durban is the place that we live out our faith and the place that we follow Jesus. So it's really important for us to understand the city in some ways, because this is where we follow Jesus, but also because this is a place that shapes us in profound ways, in some really, really good ways, in some not so good ways too. So we want to think about the place that we call home, and we want to understand that geography matters. Geography matters to us as we follow Jesus. So we want to spend this year looking at Durban and thinking about living out our faith in this place. So we're going to teach into it for three weeks. We want to spend time praying on the 26th for our city, praying that God would impact and change her. We want to walk through the city, and we'll tell you more about that soon, and go and explore and experience the city, see different parts of her, maybe get a different view or angle of the city that we call home. We want to do that together, and we want to start to think again about what it looks like as a people to partner with Jesus in what he is already doing in the city of Durban. The big idea with this series is this. We are asking the God who has put us in Durban to put Durban into our hearts. That's what we're hoping will happen over the next three weeks. So when you sat down today, 
you should have found a really great Double Take Durban magazine on your chair. If you didn't get one, someone else chapsed it. You can grab one downstairs at our information desk afterwards. But I think it's a really, really cool magazine, and I've seen people flipping through it already. So I'm sure as you've kind of looked inside and flipped through some of the pages, you've been thinking about different places in Durban, maybe some you've never been to. So I know what happens is when you go to another city, you've done all your research and you know what you want to do, but sometimes the locals in a place haven't done those things themselves. And maybe as you look at that booklet, you're thinking, Flip, I haven't done some of these things in here. The things I know are so great about my city, so I want to. I want to experience that and see it and do it. But our hope is probably that this afternoon when you go home, or tonight when you've got some time, or this week, that you would sit down on your favorite couch, and you'd open that magazine and page through and read just a little bit about the sights and sounds of Durban, and that God would stir our hearts with almost fresh eyes and a fresh love for the city of Durban. But what I thought I'd do before I carry on speaking today is I thought I'd ask Miss Courtney Weekly, who designed these magazines and put this brand together to come up and tell us why she's designed this, what she loves about Durban. And I thought it'd be so good to hear her prayer for us as a church and for the city we call home. So Courtney, why don't you come up? Shane, can I grab the mic? Hello guys. I feel like the, the standard way to start these things at Redpoint Durban is, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Courtney. Um, <laughs> so I studied design at Vega. I finished my last year in 2016. And so I was born in Durban. I was raised by the warm open arms of Durban. I grew up with the smell of the sea in my nose and the humidity on my skin. And I absolutely love Durban. So does my fiance, Tom. We both really feel a strong call to be in this place and to build up this place. Um, so I received a very open brief last year for Vega and it was basically do whatever you want. So I decided to do something that I was passionate about and that was, of course, Durban. So I designed this double take Durban guide because I really feel like Durban is so underappreciated by the people who live in it. As a designer, I've seen many of my classmates immediately move away from the city for better prospects, because Durban is not a very glamorous city, Durban is not a very stylish city, but it's a very warm city, it's a very authentic city, and it's a really beautiful city, actually. So my intention with this guide was to encourage those who live in the city to see it with new eyes, and I really wanted to paint an authentic picture of Durban with the colors, with the style, and with the places that I put in the guide. And it was something that I felt um, the hand of God on. It was a project that he planted in my heart. And it was very encouraging to see his approval and his favor because I entered the project into the Luris, which is um, the biggest advertising and media awards show in Africa and the Middle East. And I won a bronze student Lurie for it. And, but that's, that's all God. That's not really anything to do with me. I can't take much credit for that. And it's just so exciting to see it evolve and become something new now with the church. And I really hope that it will encourage love for Durban in your hearts. And I hope that you'll enjoy it. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. So on that note, I'd like to pray for Durban. So Lord, thank you for this amazing city we live in. Thank you for your hand that has put us here. And thank you for its beauty. Thank you for its warmth and its authenticity. 
Thank you, Lord, for the people of Durban too, the people that build up the character of this place. We pray that by your grace we would see hearts changed and we would see your presence and influence in the city. We pray that we would be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Durban and that there would be unity amongst the churches and the leaders and between the followers of you, Lord. Um, Lord, we pray that we see the people of Durban follow you and truly know your love and glory. We pray that you would place a burning love for our city in our hearts, that you would fill us with conviction for this place, and that we would see peace and prosperity in Durban, that we would see it prosper for your glory. In your name, Lord. Amen. I thought it was uh, just so good to hear his story, but I, I mean, I think the magazine is really, really beautiful, and I think it will excite us about the city. So maybe pray as you read through it. Maybe you're going to leave it on your bookshelf or your coffee table, but I really do hope that that um, is almost like a catalyst for us at the start of this year for what God is wanting to do and his purposes for us as a church in the city. So enjoy that. What I'm going to be preaching on today at the start of the series is living in Durban and what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to call this place home and to follow him faithfully. And I want to preach out of part of one verse in John chapter 1 verse 14. And in the message it puts it this way, the word Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I really just love the earthiness of that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And this verse is probably the verse in the whole of the Bible which explains best the doctrine of the incarnation, which is just a really fancy way of using a Latin term, incarnation, which means uh, in the flesh or becoming flesh. And that's exactly what Christians believe. We believe that God left heaven and came down to earth and that he took on the constraints of humanity and lived a human life in this world for 37 something years. J.R. Packer, one of the greatest theologians living, said, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. And I really like that combination. Fiction, fantastic, and truth. I think that's a really great way to think about Jesus walking the streets of this earth. And I know for some of us in this room today, you've been hearing that and imbibing that since you were born. So the idea of God becoming man is like such an acceptable thing. Yeah, he's fully God, he's fully man, I get that. For others in this room, maybe that's completely new to you today and you're having a little bit of a struggle dealing with that. Or maybe you're wrestling with your faith a little bit at the moment and that's a really big concept to digest. And in John chapter 1, where John the Apostle writes this, uh, this verse and this passage, he was writing to an audience who he knew would struggle to swallow the pill of the truth of the incarnation a bit too. And he writes in this passage and talks about this phrase, the word. It comes from a, La a Greek term, the logos, which Hebrew theologians and Greek philosophers would have all understood. It was this idea of the reason that governed the universe or the power of God that was involved in governing all things or in terms of this universal intelligence. And John shrinks this idea that everyone would have known into this passage that everyone would have read or heard and said, okay, we're on board with you at that, John. And it says this in John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And John wrote that, and all the Greek and Hebrew guys would have listened to this passage, and they would have thought, we buy in. That makes sense. We understand the Logos in terms of all of that. And they would have kept reading down or listening to John speak about this. And then when they hit verse 14, it would have been this massive speed bump. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is a big jump from what anyone at that time would have believed. Because John is saying that God himself came in the flesh. And if you read that passage, what he is saying is that God is Jesus. And this would have been like a big whoa moment for all of these guys. They know that he's pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is the one who was in the beginning with God. And in the beginning was God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus created everything that exists in the whole universe. Jesus is the life and the light. And they would have heard this and they would have said, Jesus that man that we saw teach in the synagogues, and the man we saw walk down the street, and the man who was crucified on that cross, that man was God, the eternal being who created all things. And John would have looked him in the eyes straight face and said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Jesus is the Logos. It is him. It's this really big idea for us to absorb. One of the biggest ideas of Christianity, that God came and walked this earth that he lived life as a human like us, and that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, that we could be reconciled to our God, and we could join God in the kingdom work and the kingdom story that is going on all around us today. John is saying something huge in this passage. And I was thinking about maybe a way to think of this. I'm sure, I don't know where everyone lives, and I know not everyone is necessarily a Durbanite in this room, but when you go to the places that you go to regularly, you see the same faces. So let me just think. One of the places where I know a lot of people go for breakfast here is the Glenwood Bakery down the road. I know that because I saw seven members of this church there on Friday morning, and uh, Nate and Wisey and I were having a bit of a worship leaders meeting, and just more and more people seem to work, walk in from the church. But maybe you're there having a little coffee and a breakfast. You're sitting at the Glenwood Bakery, and you see this person's face. You know that face because you see it every single place that you go. And then you go to do your grocery shopping, and you're at Avondale Spa or wherever you shop, and you're pushing your trolley around, and you turn the aisle, going to grab a little beetroot, and there you see the same person. Same person, same face. You still don't know their name, but there they are again. And then you're at the beachfront doing whatever you do, whether you're running or swimming or coffeeing or walking, whatever it is, and this person runs past you. And you're thinking, everywhere I go, they are. You know, they're a local. And the idea of this doctrine of the incarnation is that at a time in history, God came to earth and was a local in a certain place. He would have walked past people and they would have recognized his face. Yeah, they would have heard him teaching and preaching, but they would have seen him around the city and the towns at different times. They would have seen him doing park run on a Saturday morning down by the beachfront of Galilee, or they would have seen him at the Afros in Jer Jerusalem, or maybe he would have been at like a house party in Judea, chatting to some of the kind of unsavory characters that others rejected, talking to them lovingly and listening to their stories. Jesus would have been a common face in the places that people did laugh. That is the idea of what is going on here. Jesus is real, and he walked real streets, and he encountered real people, and he did real ministry. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is still doing that in Glenwood and in Durban today. We just sometimes aren't aware of it. And that Jesus is wanting to partner with us individually and us as a church for his purposes in the city and beyond. Don't know if you believe this, but Jesus loves you a lot. Jesus loves you a lot. One of the other passages that speaks so much about his humanity is in Hebrews 4. And in verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest, talking about him, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And I was reading that and I was thinking about Jesus, our sympathetic Savior. It's what that passage says that he is. So I don't know what you're going through at the moment, but sometimes we can think of Jesus and say, yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. Fully God, fully man, Grant, I get that. But really, we believe he just lived this kind of God existence on earth. God mode all the time, 24-7, mystical, spiritual existence, not really having like a human life. But that's not what the Bible teaches us, you know. The Bible teaches us he was fully human, he lived a, f- a human life, he had disappointment, he had moments of temptation and hard moments. And that encourages me because in our hard moments, in our moments of difficulty, we can go to him as someone who understands. Shell and I were talking about this yesterday. She made such a good point to me. She said, Jesus grew up in a poor family. So there probably would have been those moments as Jesus was growing up and Jesus had brothers and sisters and they're sitting in the lounge, whatever that home would have looked like. And they would have heard Mary and Joseph kind of whispering in the kitchen a little bit saying, we don't have food for tonight. You know, what are we going to do with the kids? We've got to feed them. And then they poured a few glasses of water and handed them to the kids and said, guys, we're just going to have some water tonight and then we're going to go to bed a little bit early. You know, Jesus would have probably lived out those kind of realities of poverty. Don't know if you know that Jesus was a refugee, but when Jesus was born, there was a hit out on his life and his family fled to Africa, our home. So Jesus has got some African roots and Jesus hid out at the beginning of his life as a refugee. Just think of the many refugees and situations around our world today. Jesus can relate to them. They can relate to Jesus. Think of the fact that his birth was quite scandalous. And I can imagine throughout his life, there would have been the rumors. Oh, have you heard of Jesus's mom, Mary, the virgin? Do you know about her? And Jesus would have been called some interesting names that you shouldn't repeat at church behind his back on the school field. I imagine maybe he came home with black eyes at times because he'd gotten into fights at school. Kids had picked on him and knocked him out, you know. And we talk about all of these natural things. What about when Jesus' father died? We don't really know the story of Joseph. He just disappears in Jesus' story. And Jesus is the oldest in his family. You imagine there was this moment where Joseph died and he as the oldest had to be the one to comfort his mom and be the man of the house. That became Jesus' role. And I'm talking about very natural things that we can relate to easily. I'm not even talking about the highs of the cross and the intensity and pain and suffering and stress and responsibility Jesus carried in that moment where the sins of the world were on his shoulders and where for the first time in his life, he experienced separation from God. What an incredible moment. So I want to say that because I want to say Jesus in his incarnation gives us hope that he is a sympathetic savior. And where we go through hard times, when we're suffering, when we're struggling with pains or problems or sins or temptations, whatever it is, we can go to him as someone who loves and cares. But I want to go from that, from who Jesus is to us. Because I want to ask if like our sympathetic savior, people find us a safe place to come to when they're suffering or struggling with something. When people are going through hard times, are we a place where people can come and find sympathy and comfort? Or when people are going through a hard time, are we a place that they can come and confess their sins and their temptations and the things that they are going through? Are we a safe place? Do we confess the realities of what we are dealing with and what we are going through? Can we comfort others? Can we love others? Are we like him in the city towards the people that are around us? Because that's what he is like. 
And he knew what human life was like. He knew what it was like to live in this world. He experienced it all. He can sympathize with us. And I don't just mean this from like a God's eye view, 100,000 foot view looking down because God knows all things. We're talking about the reality that Jesus walked the streets of Nazareth and Galilee and other places and experienced human life and knows what it's like. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. And the God who became like us calls us to become like him. The God who came down to our earth and lived a human life calls us to be his people in the city, to live a holy and righteous life, to live a life shaped by his grace and truth, to live a life of love and kindness towards people around us, and a life of set-apartness and righteousness too. He's calling us to all of that. And in Acts chapter 11, there's this description of a church, one of the earliest churches. In fact, it seems like it was the second church after the church started in Jerusalem. And we've got some uh, context that someone went and preached about Jesus there, and a few people started to believe in him and follow him and gather as a congregation like this. And after a certain period of time, we know Paul had been teaching there for a year, the people around them start to call them Christians. They look at them. And they say, okay, you guys, you're always telling us about your Jesus and describing him and his teachings, but you are just like the guy you're describing to us. You're so much like him, we want to call you little Christs, which is exactly what the term Christian means. And I thought about that this week for us, and I thought that's so beautiful. You know, uh, back in the day, when people looked at the early church, they looked at them and saw Jesus, so they said, we're going to call you little Christs, Christians. Today, the stats tell us that people look at the church and they don't see Jesus, so they call us something else. They call us hypocrites. And I just thought for us as a church, as we think about these things of what it looks like to live in Durban, it would be so good for us to recapture what it looks like to be a community filled with Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus, that people, when they look from the outside in, see Jesus in our lives and among us doing his thing. A guy named John Mark Comer that some of you would know of says, discipleship to Jesus is about one simple question. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? And we know in this passage, John 1 verse 14, that the word became flesh and blood in Jesus. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, is the word of God becoming flesh and blood inside of us? Are we living as Jesus would live if he was us here and now in this city today? We need to wrestle with the questions around what it looks like to follow him in Durban in 2017. And I think probably the best way to think that through is with this framework. We receive, we reject, or we redeem. Let me explain that a little bit more. Firstly, receive. There is so much about Durban that we can enjoy and receive and celebrate. I think Courtney's magazine, Really or Guide, shows us so much that there is to celebrate and enjoy about the city. Now, we don't want to be a people who use the city and just take. We want to be a people who give back, but we do want to be a people who enjoy and celebrate it while we live here at this time. And I just wrote down five things that I think we can receive and celebrate in Durban. Firstly are the people. In our prayer meeting before uh, our gathering today, Robin Moodley sitting back there just made this great phrase. He said, make friends easily. I thought that was a really great word for us. But I think Durban is like that, and the church should be like that. I'm often standing a queue, uh, in a queue doing like grocery shopping or whatever, and the person in front of you or the person behind you is friendly or you're friendly to them, and you spark up a conversation. I think yesterday I was chatting to someone about the rotisserie chicken that they just bought and how delicious they were. But it's easy. This is a laid-back and friendly city, and we want to receive 
receive that and we want to celebrate that. And as the church, we want to be a friendly community. Secondly, there's the beach and the natural beauty of Durban. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of you who surf here, but there's a lot of natural beauty in the city. Shell and I got married in May, almost five years ago, and I know that it's our anniversary time because all of a sudden the sunrises and sunsets just change in Durban. May and June, the sky is lit up with some of the most incredible colors and hues. And this morning I got up really early just to finish praying and preparing for my message today, and we live in a flat overlooking gravel race course. And it was like these rays of sun were just shining on the race course, lighting up trees, and there was just beautiful color everywhere. It just looked so fresh and clean. Our city is naturally very, very beautiful. Thirdly, there's amazing architecture and creativity. I was going through an online guide yesterday about the city and just looking at some of the historical architecture of the city. Now, we've got some really horrible fascist apartheid architecture in the city, those horrible I won't even go into the details of that. But we've got beautiful buildings too. And Shell and I live in this Art Deco building from 1932. It's a heritage building in the city. And when we moved in, we found out that actually Durban has the most Art Deco buildings or architecture in the world outside of Miami. It's a very interesting thing about our city. But there is so much creativity locked up in the city and creativity to celebrate. Fourthly is Durban's rich history. I was given a book by my sister-in-law a few years ago, just with all these old photos and some of the stories of the development of Durban. And I loved looking over the bluff into the Berea and looking from the Berea all the way out to sea before there were buildings anywhere, just as it was grasslands and trees everywhere. It's amazing to see how much the city has developed in time. We've got some dark history as a city. We've got some beautiful history too to celebrate. And fifthly is the diversity of food and culture. Now, over the holiday period, I found out that my wife only talks about food all of the time. So her sister-in-law was here from Hong Kong, and we realized that every single story she tells is a food story. So she loves living in the city. We found out last year, Durban was rated one of the top 10 street food cities in the world. I was surprised by that until I realized that Michelle is addicted to the falafel fundi on Gordon Road. And nearly every single day when we discuss what we're going to have for dinner, she goes, well, let's go and get the Mediterranean platter at the falafel fundi. So if you haven't been there, go and try it out. It is a real winner. But Durban is filled with this amazing food. And I just want to kind of share some of those things like Courtney has in her guide to whet your appetite for the city that we want to receive and enjoy. But... As followers of Jesus in the city, we can't receive and enjoy and celebrate everything we find in Durban. There's some parts of Durban that are sinful. There's some parts of Durban that are idolatrous. There are some parts of Durban that are wrong, that we just can't receive and we can't celebrate. But that is true of every culture and place. Everywhere you go around the world, there are some things that are normalized. There's some things that are accepted. There's some things that are popular. Just in the majority, this is the way things are even though they're so counter to the way of Jesus. And as we follow him in the city, we've got to accept that we are going to live a different way. So I was thinking about it in this way. What are some of the things that we have to reject? Some things that we can't include in our Christianity or include in living out our faith. I thought one example is this. There's no such thing as Christian drunkenness. You can't kind of marry those two things together. We've got to reject drunkenness in our city. There's no such thing as um, Christian sex outside of marriage or Christian racism or Christian porn. I'm just going to go on Google and look at some Christian porn for a while. 
or Christian greed or Christian unforgiveness. Those two things don't go together. And you can think of a long list of other things that we just can't marry in our faith. We've got to reject those things as we follow Jesus in the city. We can't accept those. We can't receive those. We can't embrace them. We have to reject them. And I know some of those things are so normal and accepted and a part of the fabric of society. Not all of them, some of them. But for us, we've chosen to walk a different way as we follow Jesus. And it is increasingly becoming a countercultural way. It's increasingly becoming a way that can look different and abnormal. But as we follow Jesus, we receive some things. We have to reject some because we are living to worship him, not anything else. I think I need to clarify this a little bit. I would hate one of you guys to go into work tomorrow. And the first thing you do is you walk across the office and you go in and you open your boss's office and you say, can I have a minute of your time? Close the door and you say, John, I need to have a bit of a word with you this morning at the start of the week. I was at church yesterday and the pastor says that I need to reject you because of this, 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 and this. That is not what I'm saying. As followers of Jesus, we don't reject people and we don't reject sinful people, but we do reject sin. We reject sin in our own lives because we are setting our lives apart as holy to him. So we don't want to reject people. We don't want to isolate people. We don't want to shame people. That is not what I'm saying here. But in our own lives, there are certain things that we reject to follow a different and countercultural way. And thirdly, we're called to redeem. And for most of us in this room, I assume, there was a point before we knew Jesus or before we were following him when we were far from God. And God followed us. He pursued us. He sought after us. He reached out to us. And whatever place you are in, he gave you a new life and a new hope and a new future and a new purpose. And the gospel message is really that Jesus brought his light into the darkness in your life. Or Jesus brought his healing into the brokenness or sickness inside of your life. Or Jesus brought his forgiveness into the sin or shame or guilt inside of your life. And that Jesus washed me and you and us clean that we could begin a new life following him. We use the phrase, he saved us. Jesus saved us at one point. He redeemed our lives and he reconciled us to God and we entered into a new story with him. And maybe for some of you in this room today, today you haven't done that. You didn't walk in here as a follower of Jesus today, but you want to leave here following him. You want all those things I just listed and discussed to be true of your lives. So you need to make a response to him before you leave here today. But just like Jesus has done that inside of us, Jesus is wanting to redeem the city around us. Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood and he's wanting to bring his redemption into all of the places he goes. Just imagine Jesus in Galilee or Jerusalem. He's preaching, he's meeting people, he's doing his thing. I read this week, Luke 8 verse 1, it talks about Jesus going into the city and proclaiming and bringing the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I just love that picture. He speaks the message and he sees the message lived out, brought, realized in the place that he's in. Jesus saw the word of God become flesh in people's lives as it had become flesh and blood in his. And he wants to see it fleshed out, incarnated, embodied in the city that we call home. And as we think about our city, as I uh, stood this morning and kind of looked from my window, we're on the fifth floor of this building. We look out over the city. It's a really beautiful view. You just think of the realities, the hard realities that are a part of our city. Now, your list might look different to mine, but I just want to touch on a few. Firstly is probably the fatherlessness in our city. 
I think that's a real big struggle, just this reality that so many homes do not have fathers. So many kids are growing up without a dad because dads are out doing their own thing. And we've said this before, but single moms and the grands in our society seem to be the heroes building society and caring for children. We want to celebrate them in this church. What about poverty or unemployment? I looked at the stats for Durban, and I don't know if you know this, but 40% of those who are between 15 and 64 years of age are not economically active. So that means 971,000 people of working age in our city of just over 3 million are financial dependents. It's an incredible reality. That's one of the reasons we want to do paradigm shifters. We want to be involved at an economic level, helping entrepreneurs, helping to create jobs, helping to skill people up because of the realities of poverty and unemployment in our city. What about racism and xenophobia and prejudice still so entrenched in our culture? I'm sure you can think of other things in our city that are not the way they should be. But I think maybe one thing I just want to highlight today, because it just stood out to me so much. So on the 1st of December last year, it was our last prayer meeting as a church. Uh, Last prayer meeting in December, our last prayer meeting for 2016. And what I normally do is I sit down, Bible out, pray, but think about what's going on in the church, look at the calendar, and look at what's going on in the news. And I found out, because I didn't know, that it was World AIDS Day that day. So I think News24 told me, and I read a few articles from News24 and did a little bit of research, which I've verified with some doctors in the congregation, but I was absolutely horrified about the statistics of HIV and AIDS in our city and in our country. So you might know this, but some of this was new to me, at least in the scale, that South Africa is the biggest and most high-profile HIV epidemic in the world with an estimated 7 million people living with HIV in our country. That's one-seventh of our population. That's a reality for them on a day-to-day basis. In 2015, there were 380,000 new infections, while 180,000 South Africans died from AIDS-related illnesses, according to the United Nations research. And maybe the thing that struck me the most, because this is our province, this is our city, is that that there is... uh, HIV prevalence of almost 40% in KwaZulu-Natal. So that means that if our church represents this province and the city as a whole, that means that two out of five people in this uh, church are infected and living with HIV AIDS. That means if it's not someone sitting next to you or you, it's someone sitting next to them. Incredible reality. We talk about Jesus walking the streets of Nazareth and Galilee and us walking the streets of Glenwood and Durban. This is the reality of the place that we live and the context that we're living out our faith. And as I shared these stats at that pre-meeting, I think everyone was a bit shocked. You know, this is our city. This is our reality. And I think we prayed for about 40 minutes easily into this because I think our hearts were so moved for our city and we prayed for those who are living with this disease. We prayed for the families of those who are and the families of those who have lost a loved one. Think of that, uh, 180,000 people in 2015 alone. We prayed for the doctors, we prayed for the hospitals, we prayed for medical policy, we prayed for those statistics to change and we prayed for God to move supernaturally in our city to bring healing to those who are suffering with this disease. We prayed for redemption because that's what our job is as the church. We're called to be part of a redemptive edge in the city that we live in and trust that God can make things that are not the way they should be His way, that He can redeem them and make them whole. I think last year when we went away in September as elders, we talked about a lot of things. I think I've mentioned this a few times. But we talked about a cliched question, which I'm sure you've all heard before, and it was this. 
is if Redpoint Durban didn't exist anymore, would the city miss us, you know? And Brendan had this kind of funny picture in his head. He said to me, so what you're saying is if this church didn't exist, the mayor would call you up the next day and he would say, what has happened? Where is Redpoint Durban gone? And that's not really what we meant, but I think it's not a bad thought, you know? I don't know if the mayor will ever know the name of this church. I pray he would. And I pray that it would, or she, sorry, yeah, you're 100% right. I pray she would. And I pray it would be for good things. But we, we did acknowledge that this is an area we need to grow in as a community. And this is an area we need to grow in individually. There's things we're doing in the city, in this neighborhood, but there needs to be more. And I think for some of us in this room, um, sorry, no, let me not get ahead of myself here. This is an individual thing, and this is a community thing. And that is why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. We want to live out the gospel, but we want to see the kingdom of God advance and see the kingdom of God established in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our region. So that's why we're preaching into the stuff. That's why we want to pray this on the, 26th, uh, on the 26th. We want to pray your kingdom come and your will be done in Durban as it is in heaven. We want to see God's rule and reign fill the city in every nook and cranny, every single bit that uh, we can call home. On top of it, that's why we're running Paradigm Shift, as Shane and I have already mentioned. That's why people go into uh, Durban Children's Home up the road to teach our NEMA reading program, because it is a crucial age for people learning to read. We want to see them grow in their skills for their education and for their future. And I know many of you in this room are involved in other things too, ways that we can see the city around us renewed, ways that we can see the gospel bring transformation. But we want to live in Durban redemptively as a church. And I want to ask each one of us sitting here today to ask the question, what does that look like for me? Where do I start? And I think sharing this message today, I really have the sense that for some of you, maybe it's three or four people in this room, there is a project or an initiative that God is wanting you to start. I want to say, don't jump the gun. You don't have to come up to me today, but pray it through. Maybe you need to fast like Nehemiah did when God was speaking to him about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. But fast and pray and think and research and plan. And when you've got an idea, come and chat, because we believe that God is wanting to do things through us as a church. We would see the city spiritually, socially, and culturally renewed through the gospel of Jesus. I think maybe just lastly, Jesus' incarnation shows us God's love for every person and his love for the city. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and he saw change come. We see his sympathy, the sympathetic savior who we can go to in our brokenness and pain, that we can go to for comfort and love, the one who we can go to to wash our sins away and to wash us clean. But this same Jesus who has come in flesh and blood to redeem us is wanting to redeem the city. And he is wanting this message to become flesh and blood in our lives, for us to embody it, for us to live it out, and to see this message and this kingdom advance in the city, that God would be glorified and we would be used for his purposes. Can we stand together and end in prayer and just some time of worship? I think my last request of all of us is, this is probably a bit of an open-ended start to a conversation, you know? And I want to ask us as a church to start to think about and wrestle with the reality of what it looks like to live in the city and to live in the city with a redemptive edge to our lives, to see God do what He is wanting to do in us and to do what He's going to do through us. So can I pray for us and then we'll end in some worship. Lord, I, I ask you, as I don't think we're where we want to be yet, Lord, 
that you would help and shape us as a community to love this city. I, I pray for us now, Lord God, that you've put us in this city and I pray now you would put Durban into our hearts. A deeper love, a deeper enjoyment, a deeper thankfulness that we are here. I pray, Lord, we would think your thoughts and feel your feelings for the city and that you would change us, Lord. Change our hearts now. Change our minds now. And we pray, Lord, together as a church that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Durban as it is in heaven, in every part, in every street, in every home, in every neighborhood, in the city as a whole. We pray your rule and reign would advance in every life, in every mind, in every heart, Lord, that you would be glorified and you would be worshiped. And we just pray for us. Lord, we pray that as we leave here, you would lead us and direct us to become this kind of people, this kind of people who are shaped in this way, who have your heart, who know your message, and who are able to see your redemption advance in the city, Lord. We pray we would be a pure church, a holy church, and a church of love and grace, and a church that is filled with your hope for what you're wanting to do in Durban and beyond. We welcome you, welcome you, welcome you in our lives and in this church, Lord. Amen. Praise, what have you done? Amen.